People look all over for wisdom. Some seek affirmation for what they already believe. Others want their minds open to new ideas and thoughts. Many turn to friends or family. Others to books, the library, pages of history so rich with wise insight. Last Monday was Martin Luther King Day, celebrating the life and the message of a man who was a leader and who became a martyr in the civil rights movement. My social media was plastered with inspirational quotes taken from his various speeches and letters. It occurs to me that for many today, this is how we get our wisdom. In the 21st century, we find a bite-sized quote lift it out of all contexts, put it onto a washed out photograph of a mountain in the mist or a still lake. We then see those on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, wherever it might be, and this becomes our wisdom. It seems our culture has abandoned the expert voice. Whilst previous cultures heralded their great thinkers, we now find ourselves in a post-truth world where opinion is prioritised. Dr. King stands out as one of the few great thinkers who has managed to find a voice which rises above the parapet of public opinion and discourse in the modern Western world. Paul in the Corinthian church, on the other hand, lived at the other end of the continuum of historical perspectives on wisdom. The ancient Greeks are often credited as originating Western philosophical thought, great Greek philosophers, Plato, Aristotle, Socrates were, and still are to many, thought to be among the most inquisitive and wise minds in recorded history. Paul's letter to the church in Corinth was thought to have been written around 53 to 57 AD, whilst he was in Ephesus during his third missionary journey. At this point in time, Greek society, under the rule of the Roman Empire, continued to venerate their philosophers. One particularly prevalent school of thought was Stoicism. The Stoics were materialists. They believed that even the gods had a material substance. Several Stoic teachers actually came from Paul's hometown of Tarsus. They posed fundamental questions about human existence, such as how can the wise man live in accordance with nature? Their answer was generally about living a virtuous life. Another popular school of thought and philosophy at the time was Epicureanism, which believed that the pursuit of pleasure was the primary aim, the primary good, and that the gods, if they did exist, didn't interact with the world. The Hellenist culture was shaped by its relationship with philosophy as a source of wisdom. Paul then, in speaking to the church in Corinth, was aware that the Greeks viewed Christianity through their own cultural lens. In 1 Corinthians 1.17, Paul says, For Christ did not send me to baptise, but to proclaim the gospel, and not with eloquent wisdom, so that the cross of Christ may not be emptied of its power. In Greek culture, the art of public speaking was valued really highly. Rhetoric, or persuasive speaking, was prominently used by thinkers at the time, using clever arguments and logic to convince someone of their point. Paul, on the other hand, contrasts his message with what was in fashion in, in this art of rhetoric in Corinth at the time. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4, Paul writes this, And my message and my preaching were very plain. 
rather than using clever and persuasive speeches, I relied only on the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul tells us why this is so important in the next verse. So that your faith may not rest on human wisdom, but on the power of God. Paul did this so as not to be seen as just another philosopher offering views on the world, but rather a deliverer of an important message, which he wanted to leave unaffected by his method of delivery. Now the Hebrew Bible, what we know as the Old Testament, has an interesting relationship with wisdom. For instance, in Proverbs 8, it, we see a personification of wisdom as a feminine characteristic of God. This could relate to the ancient concept of Sophia, viewed by some as a goddess of wisdom, um, or even as a, by some as the female half of Christ and the mother of the universe. One character most typically associated with wisdom in the Hebrew Bible is King Solomon. His tale serves as case in point as to what Paul may have been talking about in warning of the differences of the wisdom of the world and the wisdom of God. In 1 Kings 3, we read this. Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of his father David. Only he sacrificed and offered incense at the high places. The king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was a principal high place. Solomon used to offer a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord also appeared to Solomon in a dream by night and said, Ask what I should give you. And Solomon said, You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant, my father David, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness and in uprightness of heart towards you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on his throne today. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David, although I am only a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of the people whom you have chosen, a great people, so numerous they cannot be counted or numbered. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, able to discern between good and evil, for who can govern this, your great people? It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. God said to him, Because you have asked this, and you have not asked for yourself long life or riches, or for the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, I now do according to your word. Indeed, I give you a wise and discerning mind. No one like you has been before you, and no one like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honour all your life. No other king shall compare with you. If you will walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments, as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your life. That starts off with such promise, with wisdom portrayed as a God-given gift. In the story of Solomon, however, we're prompted to consider that, as with all the gifts of God, it's not just the having them, but the stewardship of the gift, which is important. When we pick up Solomon's story in 1 Kings 11, we find that all is not so well. King Solomon loved many foreign women along with the daughter of the Pharaoh. Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sardinian and Hittite women from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the Israelites, You shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you, for they will surely incline your heart to follow their gods. Solomon clung to these in love. Among his wives there were 700 princesses and 300 concubines. 
and his wives turned away his heart. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away. Uh, for Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of his father David. But Solomon followed Astarte, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. So Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and did not completely follow the Lord as his father David had done. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, and for Molech, the abomination of the Ammonites, on the mountain east of Jerusalem. He did the same for all his foreign wives, who offered incense and sacrifice to their gods. Then the Lord was angry with Solomon, because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice, and had commanded him concerning this matter, that he should not follow other gods. But he did not observe what the Lord commanded. Therefore the Lord said to Solomon, Since this has been your mind, and you have not kept my covenant and my statutes that I commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom from you and give it to your servant. Yet for the sake of your father David, I will not do it in your lifetime. I will tear out the hand of your son. I will not, however, tear away the entire kingdom. I will give one tribe to your son, and for the sake of my servant David, and the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. Despite Solomon's wisdom and his heart for God, he is corrupted through circumstances and all that brought with it. Elsewhere in the Hebrew Bible, in the complex text Ecclesiastes, uh, which is traditionally thought to have been written by King Solomon, is a cry of desperation of one whose search for wisdom and fulfilment was far-reaching but ultimately fruitless. In Ecclesiastes chapter 2, 14 to 16, it says, The wise have eyes in their heads, but fools walk in darkness. Yet I perceive the same fate befalls all of them. Then I said to myself, What happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? I said to myself that this is also vanity, for there is no enduring remembrance of the wise or of fools, seeing that in the days to come all will have been long forgotten. How can the wise die just like fools? The conclusion reached in Ecclesiastes brings us back to Paul's message to the church in Corinth. The saying of the wise are like goads, and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings that are given by one shepherd. Of anything beyond these, my child, beware. Of making many books there is no end, and much study is of weariness of the flesh. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for that is the whole duty of everyone. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. In the Hellenist culture of Corinth, wisdom was connected to the material, the knowable, ground understandable uh, understanding of life and experience. The response to this was to remind the culture of the importance of the spiritual when it had been replaced by reasoning and logic. The Stoic approach was renunciation of the self, of desire, the body, possessions, in order to achieve deep, unassailable happiness. The context Paul was speaking into is one which favoured renunciation over salvation. Here again we see just how countercultural Paul's message was. 
Theologian and philosopher of religion Paul Tillich addresses this viewpoint in his work The Courage to Be. He says this, The courage to be for the Stoic is the courage to affirm oneself in spite of fate and death, but is not the courage to affirm oneself in spite of sin and guilt. It could not have been different, for the courage to face one's own guilt leads to the question of salvation instead of renunciation. Uh, another famous theologian, Rudolf Boltmann, also writes about the contrasting approaches between the Stoics and the Christians. In his text, Primitive Christianity, it says this. For the Stoic, the way to peace and security is to turn away from the world. Whereas for the Christians, this is precisely to plunge oneself into the disquietude of guilt. For by turning our backs on the world, we find ourselves face to face with God. In a similar way, to turn to the world is to look for a peace where there is none. Christianity calls people out of the world, not to find peace in their own hearts, but to realise their responsibility towards God. Freedom must therefore be freedom from self, and the only way to attain it is to accept it as a gift. What then is the wisdom of God as opposed to the wisdom of the world? But in 1 Corinthians 12, we read that wisdom is one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, imparted on some. As with all the spiritual gifts, it's intended for the glorification of God's edification and encouragement of the church, and to reveal God's truth and love to the world. But what about those who don't receive the gift of wisdom? Well, there remain two sources of God's wisdom, which I think are still pretty good options. First is Jesus. Earlier in 1 Corinthians, Paul described Christ as the wisdom of God. In 1 Corinthians 30, it says, He is the source of your life in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. Jesus gives us access to these things, wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. He embodies them, and by approaching God through Jesus, we find each of them. It's not just this, but the example of Jesus, which reveals the wisdom of God to us. There's no wonder even atheists look at the life and teachings of Jesus and cannot refuse but to call him one of the great wise teachers of all time. In fact, the gospel accounts remain thousands of years later, unmatched in their wisdom and guidance. Which then leads us on to our second source of God's wisdom, the word of God. Of course, this can come in different forms. Perhaps the most obvious is the Bible. We have these texts as the source of wisdom. To hear God's voice through them is to receive the wisdom of God. Whether it's general principles such as love your neighbour or more specific insight on particular areas of doctrine, we know that the Bible is full of God's wisdom for us. It's God's story throughout history and each book reveals a different dimension of God's wisdom as learned by God's people. So what do we do with this chunk of 1 Corinthians which addresses the issue, issue of wisdom? Are we simply to disregard the wise words of people throughout history besides the Bible? No, to do so would truly be foolishness. God has given wisdom to many to share with us over the generations. But we shouldn't be led solely by the voices of our times or even throughout the past. We can learn from them. The wisdom of God ultimately 
is that which reveals to us more of God's goodness, love and mercy. And just like we read in Ecclesiastes, take away this with you today as a reminder that this is what we should endeavour after. That which reveals to us more of God's goodness, love and mercy.